0: Welcome to Buy Every Word. We're excited this week, or I'm excited, to have Brother Drew Kaiser here. I have been a fan of Drew's for years, and recently I reached out to him, and thankfully he said he would join us for a podcast. Another reason I want to have Drew is because due to where I am in my life right now, the season of my life I'm in, there are some topics I'm not qualified to speak about. And with me having no children, even though I am married, I have no kids. One of those topics is parenting. And I know that right now in 2021, parenting is a very difficult task for the Christian to have and to endure and to try to be the best they can be at it while keeping God first. And so I have Drew on today. Uh, Drew has many books written of uh, books that I use. If you are a Bible school teacher, I recommend looking him up on Amazon and other bookstores. He has a lot of great resources for you. He also has a podcast called Wide Margins, which is a Bible study podcast. That's great for a Bible student trying to learn more about the Bible and even some more historical type aspects about the Bible. But at this time I'll turn it over to Drew. I had mentioned his new podcast to you before we begin our Bible study together.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me to come on, Winston. It's great to to talk with you, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Yeah, I have, in addition to the Wide Margins podcast, I have a new podcast out. It's a bit of an experiment for me. Um, It came out of a new new, uh, ability that I've been trying to develop. Um, starting during the quarantine when I had a lot more time on my hands, and that's uh, writing fiction and trying to use stories to get the gospel and God's truths out there. Uh, I, I never intended on doing it as a podcast to begin with, but I started working with uh, others, uh, a writing coach and editors, and they're telling me that uh, people don't read that much <laughs> these days. So if I want people to hear my stories, I need to think about audio formats. And of course, I had the background in podcasting, so I started the Burdens podcast. And I, I call these stories Burdens because that's an old word for a prophecy. And uh, the main characters in most of these stories are prophets and uh, before we started recording, you compared them to a parable. I, I think maybe that is one way you could describe them. It's hard to explain without listening, so if you're interested in that, you can look it up through your favorite podcasting tool, or you can go to drewkaiser.com, and you can you can find it there as well.
0: Thank you so much, Drew, and uh I do highly recommend that you do look it up and you have a chance, even if you are younger. Uh, it is just a great storytelling for any age you can apply, and it does bring across the Word of God in very unique and beneficial ways that a lot of people can be introduced to the gospel, I really think, to that podcast and uh, the way you present it. But we will begin with our topic today, and it's a topic I'm excited about, and it's something it's kind of funny when you ask parents, strong Christian parents to talk about parenting, they often say, I'm not qualified. They, they sell themselves short because I think being a person who is, I, I'm 26 and I am a school teacher and I'm a youth minister. So I, even though I'm older, I'm still around kids a lot and, and I understand what they go through. And I get to look at these parents that I go to church with, or I've been to other congregations with, and I see how they treat their kids and how they act and just the way they try to bring them up in the gospel. And I think parents set themselves short a lot of times that if you are focusing on God and bringing that to the home, you're doing all you can do, and you should be proud of that, and that should be commended. But still, parents are afraid to discuss parenting because they don't want to give ideas that can lead people astray. They don't want to to make themselves be perceived as people who have it all figured out. And we'll talk about that later, how that's not the case. But I do want to start off first in defense of the kids for a second. And I do think that in the society we have today, and I live in the Southern part of America, this is very commonplace for parents to already have an appreciation for their kids and their successes and to bring those successes up and even also pick up the kids whenever they have struggles and they, are not successful whenever they do mess up. But in defense of kids for a second, starting out our study together, being a good parent means that a parent cannot forget 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And I will read that verse for us uh, right now. It is, let no one look down on you, or excuse me, on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So, in our beginning of our study, we're going to talk about how parents should respect any spiritual maturity exhibited by children, and they should even commend that. So what do you have to say about that, Drew? Uh,
1: well, first of all, you're, you're right. Uh, parents should do their part in this attempt to eliminate disrespect of youth. Uh, it's, it's more a disrespect of someone because of their youthfulness than any individual flaw or weakness. Uh, that's a separate subject. Paul is telling Timothy that youth there's a lot to respect in youthfulness. There's, there's honor in that there's a way to serve God as a young person. And, uh, there are special opportunities for young people that don't belong to others. And so they're just as much a part of the body of Christ as the adults are. Uh, this is a problem now, but I think it may have been more of a problem in Paul's day, when older people were more respected then than they are now. Now, people, you know, have surgery and change, you know, change their fashions and uh, do things to try to try to look younger whereas back then they were trying to look older. So there's a, a little bit of flip-flopping going on with, with regard to culture. Still, I think in the church, people do tend to disregard youth. Now, what Paul does to combat that is really interesting. There, there is a role that parents can play, but before I get to what the parents should do, I want to point out that he's talking to the young man directly. He's saying, uh, you have to not be a victim of this disregard or disrespect. You have to show them by an example, not by your words, not through arguing or debating, but through this example of uh, your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, that, that you are a legitimate member of the body of Christ who has value in God's eyes and therefore in, in, in the rest of the body of Christ. And so as a parent, I need to know that. And I think you put it well, when young Christians do things that are worthy of respect, compliment them, encourage that, uh, do what you can to make that flourish even more. And, uh, Do basically do what Paul's doing here. Teach them to be a good example, and that's how you stand up for yourself. Uh, A lot of times we think arguments and debates and shouting people down and demanding respect or or, um, self pity, you know, is is another direction we go in, and uh, we need to discourage that and. Any victimization is, is bad for youth. Um, you, you know, bullies are a problem, and I know this isn't exactly about bullying, but disrespecting youthfulness is a form of bullying, and you can't have a bully without a victim, and the best example of that is Jesus Christ. When he was before Pilate and when he was before the Sanhedrin, he didn't open his mouth, He was struck, he was beaten, but he was never victimized because he didn't allow them to do that. And so Paul's basically telling Timothy what parents should tell their kids. You can control this. You do not have to be a victim. You can ignore people who disregard you and you fight that back through your example.
0: And and I like the way you put... uh... The ideas out there how culture has changed, how really up, I would say, into the last century or so, it's typically been more respect for the older individuals. And to be fair, the Bible goes over that many times. Now, that should be. Respect your elders and pay attention to your mother and father and how the blessings will flow from that. But I do like the way you mentioned that in the day and age we have, this is not as much of an issue as it once was. And I think like like I mentioned at the beginning of the study, that's great because you don't really have this all the time. But it is important for parents, like you mentioned, to never make a victim out of their kids, never embrace that bullying, which can at times be easier depending on situations that you're in. And I think you made some great points there. Also, With that being said, and I think this sort of leads into our next topic. Maybe these two first topics come together that we're discussing. With that, it is also important for the parent to understand they don't have to have it all figured out, that parenthood is an ever-evolving and ever-changing battlefield, a spiritual battlefield, and that their ability to really evolve with that while maintaining their spiritual foundation is vital, as their kid grows up, as they start to experience new things, they have interests in new hobbies and activities with school and with sports and arts, whatever it may be. So it's important for a parent to never be entering that stigma that they have to be perfect parents. And really, if you're in that stigma, it's important to escape it and understand that nowhere does the Bible expect you to be perfect. Nowhere does it ask you to have a perfect parenthood, to raise a perfect child and never have any struggles with that. In fact, it's important that a Christian parent remembers that they are redeemed, not only in their spiritual walk, but also in their, their walk as a parent as well. They are redeemed by Jesus and guided by the gospel, which shows them how they should be a parent. And now I would argue, even though we have more respect for youth in the culture and society that we live in, being a parent may be more hard Now, than ever, when it comes to what you have to face and the things you have to do, and with that respect for kids that you mentioned, also comes from us expecting kids to grow up too soon. That whenever they hit 15, 16, they should be making decisions that their adults are planning to make at 21, 22, but how they deal with themselves socially with all the social pressures of this world. So, what would you say about this idea of parents still trying to figure things out in an ever evolving spiritual battlefield?
1: Those, those are some great points. Um, I'll use uh, smartphones just as an example, because, I mean, like it or not, the phones have changed us. And, uh, you know, I'm dealing with that. I have a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old. And my 15-year-old has a phone and my 11-year-old wants a phone, but <laughs> he, he's not going to get one anytime soon. But, um, you know, they can carry this technology that's connected to the world around with them wherever they go. And there are all kinds of dangers just in their back pocket. Now, I can't go to my mom and dad and ask them for advice on how to handle that because they didn't have to do that. They did not have to monitor me and my brothers using smartphones. I mean, the technology we had was large, and it had to be plugged into a wall, and we couldn't put it in our pocket and take it with us to a friend's house. Uh, we weren't connected on the internet. I'm aging myself a little bit here, but we're t- I'm talking about changes that have occurred just in the last 10 years. I can't go to a parent who finished raising their kid in 2010 and ask for advice on how to deal with social media, smartphones, etc., And so I say that to say, along with you, that parents should give themselves a break because they are going to make mistakes. You always make mistakes when you're in uncharted territory. And, you know, behind that, you always make a mistake if you're a human being. Uh, No parent has ever been perfect. And it always seems like the others are doing a better job than you. That's just human nature to look at others and think they've got it all together. And uh, yeah, I'm messing my kids up. Uh, You're not messing your kids up and kids also make their own decisions and, you know, they make their own mistakes. And some of those mistakes you need to let them own, you know, not everything is your fault. Um, Now I mentioned a verse that I want to go to under this heading that a lot of parents beat themselves up with, and that's Proverbs 22 verse six: "Train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it." When when you first read that, it it seems as though it's a rule that if you follow it, it will not. It will not. It's a guarantee. It looks like a guarantee that if you raise your, if you train your child up in the way he should go he'll always be a Christian, he'll never fall away, he'll never make a mistake, he'll never make a bad decision, his marriage will be perfect, etc. That's misreading the Proverbs. Uh, You know, the book of Proverbs is full of Proverbs, and proverbial truths are generally true. There are exceptions to the rule when it comes to Proverbs. And um, if you don't believe it, you can just look at other examples in the Bible, who would say that the father of the prodigal son was a bad parent? Nobody, but he trained up his child in the way he should go. And as his child grew older, he departed from it temporarily, came back and the father was waiting for him when he came back. Um, you also have the example of God, the father and Israel. And you know, Israel went astray time and time and time again. But who would accuse God the Father of being a bad parent? The point isn't to look at Proverbs 22 6 as a guarantee, the point is to train up your child in the way he should go in hopes that he'll continue following that way when he grows older, because most of the time he will. And the converse is always true that if you don't train up, train him up in the way he should go more than likely he will not go in that way. It's more about the fact that children are not going to find their way on their own. And man, that's, that's an important idea today when the television and the internet are telling our kids to find their own truth and be true to themselves the book of Proverbs says folly is bound up in the heart of a child and you have to train children because they don't come pre-programmed. So I, I have this question a lot, you know, parents will come up and they'll say, you know, my kid, uh, you know, my child is, has come out as gay or my child is getting a divorce or my child, uh, has left the church. Um, or whatever, and they're they're heartbroken over it, and they're blaming themselves. And I have to remind them that you know our children make their own decisions, and they have minds of their own. And each and every one of us are made in the image of God, and nobody's a robot. So parents have to give themselves a break. Uh, you're not going to be perfect, and you don't have to own every mistake your child makes. Let them own their own mistakes, and help them through it. Um, I also want one more thing on this is when they make mistakes, you don't have to cut them completely off. I think another thing parents think is we that they should go over to 1 Corinthians 5, passage on church discipline, and apply it to their family and disfellowship their child completely. Yes, uh, there are times where you have to make boundaries, with your adult children who have chosen not to live the way they should live. But if you don't leave that door open, like the father of the prodigal son did, uh, they they may decide to come home one day and they don't know how to get there. So you always need to make sure that the door home stays open so that if they come to their senses, they can find their way home. Those are just some thoughts on,
0: on that. And I really like the parallel you made with the prodigal son and that parable. I think people oftentimes put the mistakes or the sins that their children can choose like on a pedestal. You know, if you do this sin, then you're, you can never come back home. If you do this sin, I can sort of live with that. And that's not how it should mm-hmm. be. It's yeah. the understanding that every child is going to struggle. Every child is going to have their hills and valleys, as we mentioned earlier, But the prodigal son story is so important, too, and this goes off what you mentioned, because the father was ready, and that was evident. There was no waiting. There was no discussion beforehand. And we read there in the passage, before he returns, the prodigal son's not returning in some kind of redeemed fashion. He's not wanting to make a public confession. He just wants to eat what his father's servants ate. That's all he was thinking. Mm -hmm. The father used that opportunity, that open door that you mentioned, because that door was never closed. He welcomed his son back in just as he was before he left. And of course, that is a parable showing us God and how he will always welcome us back if we fall away. But there's no reason to not draw a parallel there, there between how God treats his children and how a parent should treat their children as well. Always having that door open and embracing any connection you can have with that child again. If they're coming back for something, give them everything you can as a parent and bring them back in. Let them know that they are loved and they are cared for just as they were before they go down this bad path. And I loved you bringing that parable up. And that's something
1: I just noticed in reading those parables in Luke 15. Just a few months ago, I was reading them and I noticed that, you know, there are three parables about lost things, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, right? Well, in the first two parables, the people who lost the items go searching for them. The shepherd goes out and looks for the sheep. The woman goes dusts and sweeps her house looking for the coin. But in the parable of the prodigal son, the father doesn't go look for the son. And I think that's intentional because sons are a lot different from sheep and coins, you know they're human beings and they have to hit rock bottom and come to that point where they come to their senses on their own before you can help them. The waiting that you see the father doing is probably the hardest thing for a parent to do. Waiting on your child to come to their senses. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything proactively. You can take that too far. Um, there, there are times where you'll have an opportunity to push or to teach or to try to wake them up. But if you, if you push too hard, you wind up pushing them, all, pushing them away forever. And of course, if you don't push at all, you wind up making them think that you're condoning their behavior. So there's a, there's a balance that we need to find that's represented in that father. Uh, you you can't treat your children like sheep and coins. I wish it were that easy that, you know, a coin, you you find it and you reach out and pick it up and put it in your pocket. It's yours again. But children are a lot more complicated than coins.
0: That's a great point. And uh, also, like you mentioned, it shows the difficulty that comes in parenthood in those situations. It is a balancing act. It is a tightrope. A parent has to walk, you know, When have I not said enough? And when have I said too much? Trying to, because you don't want to make them a sheep. You don't want to get your rod and bring them back in at that age. But you also don't want to just let them be out there on their own and completely devoid of the gospel and the promises of it. And that's a great point you made as well. And another thing you mentioned, and I have the date I wrote down as I thought it was very neat because it's true. 2010 child compared to a 2021 child could not be more different. There's not... Uh, much more of a decade difference between childhoods, I would probably say ever in the history of the world, than a 2010 and 2021 child. And that's another reason I think it's so important for parents to cut themselves some slack sometimes and understand that the waters they're on right now, that they're trying to drive the vessel of their home, sell the vessel of their home, whatever you want to call it, it is stormy and it is rocky and it is hard to find your way because it has changed so, so very much. Kids never really lose a connection with people that they want to be around. And there's, there's ways to monitor it, but parents are not as smart as their kids with that stuff. Kids have ways around it. And so it's important to realize don't beat yourself up over the small things, but be better the next time those things come around. To be a better, more prepared, be a better parent. And that's with anything in life. Whenever you get hit, you get knocked down by something, pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, be ready for that the next time it happens. And with the ever-changing landscape of parenthood, that is bound to happen dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times for any parent. Because these social pressures, especially here in the South part of America, where things are generally more conservative or have been, the present social pressures that are involved with social media, And just the news and everything, pretty much any access they have to media is so different and is so more antagonistic to the gospel than really, if you go back throughout history, it sort of is reminiscent of like Rome before the fall of Rome, just how much they embraced sin. And really it was celebrated over any kind of faithful living to any spiritual deity or what have you. Mm -hmm. We're at the point now that sin is not only accepted in the eyes of teenagers and young adults, but at times sin is celebrated. It's put on a pedestal above just living a morally correct life that we would consider be morally correct. And in fact, being spiritually correct is now villainized. It is thought about as against the social norms, which is a battle we have not had to have in this part of the world, but it's becoming more and more prevalent and more and more real and true. And that is especially true with parenthood. Mm-hmm. What do we accept and what do we avoid? Things like that. I think that what you mentioned really is important to realize that it, it changes fast. And we have to buckle up and be ready whenever those twists and turns come our way. Right. And and I think, and I was talking to my wife about this. Now, granted, as I mentioned, we are not parents. But the beautiful thing about the gospel and about the Bible is that even though the landscape is changing, the rule book does not have to. Mm -hmm. What we are taught about as spiritual leaders, whether it be adulthood or Sunday school teachers or just involved with other people, whatever we do does not change from what the gospel says it should be. No matter the social pressures or the times we're in, and parenthood is no different. And that's a great thought for a parent to have that even though it's difficult right now and for the foreseeable future, I imagine it's going to continue to be difficult. You already had the best playbook ever written through the words that God has given us. And in fact, I do want to read quickly in the book of Deuteron- Deuteronomy, excuse me, in chapter six, verses six through nine. And I'm going to pull it up on my computer real quick. Now, I'm reading out the New American Standard Translation from 95. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, the Bible tells us, These words which I commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I mentioned this to Drew before we started recording our lesson today, but I didn't even plan about us having this study around Father's Day. It kind of just happened that way. And yesterday morning, my preacher, the congregation I go to, Key McCarver, mentioned these verses. And with all these thoughts we have sort of sent back and forth and things I want to talk about, I think it's so fitting that we talk about the fact that these words from Deuteronomy, when the first books of the Bible ever written are still so true today, and if you focus on these words, and they are on your heart, the Bible says that they are on your heart as a parent, then you're able to teach them as you should. How so much you take over from here, Drew? Uh,
1: yeah. Well, one thing is the the focus of this 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 was the Shema that was repeated every Sabbath. To open up synagogue services. And the, and the focus is that the Lord is one and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so, first of all, what parents are to give their children is this world view that there is one God who created us. And he should be foremost in our hearts above all else. And, you know, we all see the world through lenses. We, we filter the world in different ways. And it all depends on what our worldview is. And so as parents, our job is to tell our children how to interpret the world. How do you see, um, you know, relationships? How do you view world events. How do you view history? How do you view the future? Uh, How do you view cultural developments and so on? We are to teach them that you view it all through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the love of God. That's how we should interpret everything. Uh, Nobody sees the world just as it is. We all interpret the world. And so he's, he's saying you can take charge as a parent and control the way your children see it, but you can't do it with one sit-down conversation. You know, uh, parents have these, these conversations they want to have with their kids. I think they're obvious, you know, the conversations I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe one of them is a baptism, for example. They're about to go to camp, let's say, and you sit them down and you say, now you're about to go to camp. You're going to get a lot of pressure. You're going to hear a lot of sermons. Um, do you know what baptism is about? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. You need to be baptized to become a Christian. You're raised to walk a newness of life. All right. Good talk, son. Uh, have a good time at camp. You know? And then you, you only do it that one time. That's not the way that you develop somebody's mind. If you want to develop a mindset, it has to be developed through a lifetime organically, from the heart. And so he's not saying that every time you sit in your house, you have to be parroting these words. And every time you walk by the way, and when you lie down, you know, you're sleeping and you're talking while you're sleeping. You're, he's not saying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're saying the, the Lord our God is one all the time. What he's saying is, look for these opportunities for the conversations to come up organically, have the conversations wherever you do, as you live your lives together, which assumes that you're going to be around a lot. Uh, that, that's another thing we can talk about from Deuteronomy six. It assumes that a parent is going to be with their child a lot. And that takes some sacrifice, you know, that, that may affect what job we choose to work. That may affect um, some of the recreational choices we make while our children at home. Um, they're so important that you're going to be around them during the day, in the evenings, in the mornings, and your home is going to be centered on this, this worldview, this filter, so that when they leave, they, they take it with them and they see the whole world in terms of the love of God putting him first there there's a lot packed into these few words which is why they were repeated every sabbath uh, by the Jews
0: I love the point you made there as well and just the fact uh, that parents do need to be very involved with their child and as parents know and I know this is very true for the parents at beach Hill, if your child plays travel ball that's going to be a sacrifice for you. If your child is involved with plays or anything else with, with the arts and you have these multiple play weekends, I know we just had some kids doing those, that's going to be a sacrifice. But even something as basic as showing that support and being there from a young age and moving forward, that can be the difference maker in that child listening to you whenever the Bible is brought up and that child not listening to you. And of course, there will be constraints you can't get past there'll be times whenever your job calls you and you can't miss your work and that's fine but it's being as involved as you can it's asking when you get home after work hey how'd the game go how'd the play go things like that letting your child know that you're involved at that young age and then what you mentioned as well is that we have to make sure that they see that through how we live our lives and you go back to that first verse that the first commandment have to tell your kids is that to have these words in your hearts. And while I'm not a parent, as I mentioned, I am married, been married for about, uh, for, for three years now. And, and it's so important that we look back, back at the words in Ephesians chapter five, when it tells the husbands love your wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think one of the main things about being a good parent team is that the why first subject yourself to her husband, which is real fun for the husband to say, isn't it? But then we also have a stipulation for that. Mm-hmm. For her to be subject to us, we have to love her as Jesus loved the church. And that doesn't just mean that we would give our life for her that as, as in the sense of that we would die for them. Because I do think that a lot of people would die for a lot of people if that time comes. It's giving every single day of your life to that person. Is sacrificing what you have for them, just as Jesus sacrificed every day he had for us by not sinning, by being perfect. If you can do that, if you can love your wife and want to be subject, that's the foundation for, a, for parenthood as well. That's a team working together. And then you add in those children. If that foundation is laid, then you'll have successes. However, there will also be some parent situations that... Well, you will not have both a mother and a father present, and that's fine because God tells you he'll be there for you, and we see that throughout the Bible. You know, we think about it's impossible for a rich man to get to heaven, same way as, excuse me, it's easier for a camel to get to the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven, but with Jesus, that's possible, and with Jesus, we can also be great parents. We can get to heaven as well and hopefully get our kids to heaven along with that, but I love what you mentioned about those verses, because it's so important that involvement is shown. And if we're in that situation, whenever we are a single parent, and we have to face those difficulties that come with that single parenthood, it's going to take more work. But rest assured that God has your back in that endeavor. He's going to be there to bless you and your children while you try to do that. And so this leads us on to our last topic of our discussion. And it is so important that we start the, building that foundation prior to having kids, that we already are a good team with our teammate with our spouse if we can be. Whereas I know sometimes you may have a child earlier in your marriage than other people, but you start working on that even when you're dating before you're married, you work towards that partnership that is productive for the Lord. And so building that foundation at an early age is so important. And then there will hopefully be a transition period, Lord willing where that child goes from just being your son and your daughter to also being your brother and sister in Christ. And really, as we end today, we're going to talk about how maybe your relationship with that child may change a bit. And this really goes back to our first topic. As the pros of their youthfulness start to show through spiritually, how does your relationship change whenever that son and daughter become your brother and sister in Christ?
1: Yeah. It, um, as, as kids get older and they become adults or young adults or even teenagers, that relationship does change. And we have to slowly give them more and more freedom and start looking at, start letting them have some responsibilities, especially when they become Christians, uh, it, when, when they become Christians, they start working alongside you, uh, contributing. They need to understand that they have new responsibilities. All that goes without saying, but whenever you get into that, it, it's, I think it's harder than, than you first realize. I, it, it's, it's hard to see your child as an adult it's hard not to just jump in and handle things for them. But if you, if you shelter them and you keep them in a bubble until they turn 18 or 20, 21, 26, whatever age they fly the coop, they're eventually going to leave. And if they go straight from being sheltered to being on their own, they're going to make a lot of mistakes that they should have made while they were under your roof. In your care. So I know that's not exactly about, you know, looking at them as a brother, or sister in Christ, but I, I think it's related because what happens a lot of times is uh, we let our children, our children become Christians when they're very young, and uh, then they just return back to, you know, being a little kid again, and we don't deliberately give them responsibilities it might be as simple as going to the deacon who is in charge of the worship services and asking him to work your son in at the Lord's table or an opening prayer. Um, Maybe you have a daughter or maybe your son doesn't have that talent. Well, it might be, you know, bring them up to the church work day, um, making sure that they take on some Christian responsibilities making sure something changes, not just in your relationship with the child, but in his or her relationship with your local congregation. Um, they they need to understand that they've made a big decision and their lives are going to be different in a great way, but they've taken on more responsibility. I guess, you know, I should have answered this <laughs> in a shorter way, and just saying it's all about the responsibility. Um, that That's what changes is they now, you're not fulfilling all their responsibilities for them. As, as a Christian, they have to have new responsibilities.
0: And uh, I think there's some great points. And really this was mentioned by a brother of ours, Russ Harold. You know Russ,
1: true? I, I may have met him, but. Yes, sir. I can't recall him right now.
0: Uh, his dad, he's an elder. Dan is an elder at Beach Hill. And we we're talking about the difficulties of being a parent as well. <laughs> actually, I actually did mentioned this. It just came up in another conversation. And he mentioned one thing that he really sees happening a lot today is, uh, you know, parents have to sort of be there to encourage their kids to take on those roles the same way our parents more likely encouraged us and listeners today's parents encouraged them not saying you have to have a sermon prepared the day after you're baptized. No, it's, it's not what it's about, but it's about slowly getting them involved, whether it be just teachers need a helper when they're in the, the cradle roll class, let them be a helper as a young, uh, young Christian. Maybe it's getting the communion ready. Maybe it's working the zoom in the back of the church building, whatever it is, slowly get them involved. And if you can lay that foundation of being involved, then that can start to grow in itself as well. Then you start to get more and more involved in sort of being that last bit of encouragement to push them over and be responsible for those duties. You know, you can lead a prayer, son, or you can help with this meal we're preparing for these elderly people, whatever it is, being that last bit of encouragement. Because you know, being a parent, a lot of times that's what kids need. They're 99% in, but that 1% can take them over very quickly, that 1% of doubt, that 1% of fear, if we as parents let it, and we don't encourage them, or y'all as parents, rather, I'm not a parent, but if they don't encourage them, sometimes that's all that kid needs. And that also extends to teachers and leaders in the congregation as well. If we're a Sunday school teacher, that's sort of our time to work with the parents. Like, hey, I think your son, your son does a great job leading prayer in class, let's get him. From the church, working together as a church family to help raise that child, help them take on new responsibilities and new roles, and hopefully they can grow in their faith. They can grow in their how they deal with that pressure because, along with the changes we have of social media, everything can be recorded at any time. That's an added pressure we add to kids. I know most people are recording their services now. Maybe they're live streaming on Facebook. You know, when I was 11. And all I had was people I've grown up with my whole life. When I was baptized, I started doing prayers and things. There's not much pressure there. But now when a kid is 11 or 12 and they're baptized and they start praying, it can be out and their best friend on Facebook is watching it. And it's so much added pressure. We have to accept, but also push that child to deal with and so I do think what you mentioned was great about being there and taking those responsibilities. And uh, it was not too long, because it was a great point, I think, to sort of wrap up these uh, these thoughts we had together. Is there anything that you want to say in closing, Drew, to sort of put the yeah, cherry on top? Uh,
1: I, I, I wanted to add to that last question. We've come full circle back around First Timothy 4.12 also. Um, you know, maybe it's not time for the, a new christian who is your child to lead prayer or lead singing or something like that but it is definitely time for him or her to become an example to others and uh these teenagers just do not realize how much the little kids look up to them and you know that that has to do with how you talk what you wear um and and all these other, your purity, your faith, all those things, that little list that Paul gives Timothy, you know, that, all of that changes when you become a Christian. So I think really that's fundamental is when your child becomes a Christian, you have to sit down with them and say, you know, you can't wear the things that you wore when you're a little kid. You have to be more careful. Uh, You can't talk the way you did when you told all those, uh, you know, off color jokes or whatever potty humor you liked when you were a little kid, you know, you have to, you have to be more dignified. You have to be an example. And um, that, that's hard. That's hard for adolescents as you know, they part of them wants to be an adult and part of them wants to stay in childhood. And I'm not saying that kids shouldn't, should not act their age but um, I'm saying that people look at them too and they have influence and uh, parents need to make them aware of that influence but I really appreciate you bringing me on I also wanted to say that you know just because you're not a parent that doesn't mean you can't instruct us and I can tell that you have studied this a lot I I did many years as a youth minister and not a parent and several years, five years as a preacher in the pulpit before I became a parent. And I know, I know the struggle there. You have to teach on these matters, but I mean, your experience as a school teacher and as a a youth minister uh, gives you a special perspective that a lot of parents don't have. So, you know, keep, keep using your influence and keep teaching the way that you are because you know the kingdom needs that as well sometimes parents are too too much in the thick of it to understand certain things and uh, need an objective point of view perspective like like you have so i appreciate that i appreciate all that you do and, and inviting me to come on and be a part of the podcast today
0: well, thank you, Drew, uh, first for the kind words. That does uh, does mean a lot. I think also with, uh, with being a youth minister right now, you're also sort of a part of that same ship, batting down the hatches, trying to get through these storms or these social changes and yeah. things going on. But I appreciate that. And I appreciate just everything you do for the benefit of the kingdom. And uh, I- I'm not just saying this because he's here on the camera across from me, but go out and get some of his books. they will help you out check out wide margins. It's fantastic. And also burdens is his new, his new thing he's doing. And it is also like everything else he touches. It's, it's just great as well. Very edifying and it's uplifting. I think it will help you out in your spiritual walk. Drew, thank you so, so very much for coming on today to buy every word. We appreciate you, appreciate all that you do and appreciate your time that you've given us today. And so thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And may we always strive to live by every word.